I vividly remember being in a room of senior women. We were talking about how we help others out. And someone who was very, very senior in the room said, nobody ever helped me. Why should I help anybody else? And I just could feel my heart stop when she said that. You know, I've helped lots of people and you get out a lot of it yourself if you help others. You know, in particular, I think there's a lot of camaraderie with women at this point, And there's a lot that we can do for each other and should do for each other for any number of different reasons. Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro-Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and open doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat, how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to How Women Inspire. Today's guest is someone dear to my heart. She is one of the smartest and sweetest, most giving people I know, and such an active and instrumental member of our organization, Sue Harnett has over 25 years of experience leading domestic and international financial service organizations through periods of major transitions and transformation, often involving the re-engineering of organizations, technology, data products, services, and marketing, as well as mergers and acquisitions and integrations. Since 2015, she's been a senior advisor to digital startups and a mentor at the FinTech Innovation Lab sponsored by Partnership Fund for New York City and Accenture. From 2012 to 2015, she was the COO of North America for QBE Insurance Group, one of the top insurers based in Sydney, Australia. And from 20, 2001 to 2012, she held four key positions at Citigroup, president of the local consumer lending, head of global business performance, CEO of Citibank Germany, and head of retail banking, CEO of Citibank EMEA. Sue has a passion for developing startup companies. She serves as a venture capital representative for Astia on the board of Goal Setter and serves as an independent director, Nam and Gov committee chair, and member of the Risk Committee 
for the OFG Holding Company Bank Board. And she's a member of the Comp and Human Capital and Audit Committees of Life Storage. And I cannot leave Sue's affiliation with our organization as an executive board member of How Women Lead and one of our first limited partners in our groundbreaking venture firm, How Women Invest. She's also a member of our finance and banking affinity group, helping other women see what's possible to get on corporate boards, even though they've been in some of those banking jobs that won't allow you to get on any boards until you leave because there's a conflict. Sue, it's so wonderful to have you as a guest on our podcast. How are you doing today? Just wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Just that list of accolades and experience is long, and I can't wait to dig in and find out more about how you tick. What is it that Mm -hmm. has really fueled you in challenging times? So let's start with what is your theme song in the good times and the tough times? You know, I have a very eclectic music taste, so I actually came up with three of them. The first one is Rhapsody in Blue, which can be very positive or very negative, you know, because it's very combination of like classical and very popular music. Then um, there was, I'm a big basketball fan. So there was a song in Space Jam with Michael Jordan called I Believe I Can Fly. I like that one a lot. (laughs) Touch, you know, spread your arms and touch the sky. I believe I can fly. And Don't Let It Rain on My Parade is also a very good one. All of those can apply to both very good situations and very bad. So you just got to kind of wind up whichever one you think is most appropriate, given the day, I guess, is a good way to put it. Well, it sounds to me like, you know, you are, you're an optimist. You're like, all right, let's bootstrap and, and, and turn this corner. How would you describe how you pivot in the world in in moments of opportunity and challenge? Well, I think one of the things that I always recommend to people is you have to maintain a sense of humor, a healthy sense of humor. Because if you're, you know, just silly, optimistic or very pessimistic, it's not very good. The right thing to me in life is balance. You know, you never want to be too far to the left or too part of the right, you kind of want to be balanced and maintaining a good sense of humor, being able to laugh at yourself as part of that is something that I think gets you through just about anything. Personally, I have a wonderful husband and two daughters. They've helped me get through all kinds of different things. And we've had some wonderful experiences together and hope to have many more going forward. So when we all read the book Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, Mm -hmm. one of the things she talked about is her choice in life partner and somebody who could really support her in being, you know, big in the world. How did that work for you? Has it been uh, a journey with your partner? Did you pick the right person? To be honest, I often say that picking my partner was the best decision I've ever made. You know, I've been married for more than 40 years. We met in college and we had a lot of the same friends and didn't start dating until the end. And then we got married and moved all over the world. And, you know, like everybody else with a dual career couple, at one point, somebody's got to step back a little bit. We kind of traded off. You know, I did an executive MBA when I was working full time. I had two little kids and a husband. 
And that was the closest grounds for divorce I think I've ever experienced, but we made it through. (laughs) Well, having been partnered for 32 years myself, I understand. I understand a little bit of that, but I think that so many women in my generation and our generation felt like they couldn't have two careers and have kids. I didn't think that that was possible for me. So my life, my husband is not a career focused person. His whole goal in life is to make me happy. So what would you recommend to other women who are sort of just beginning their, their pathway, perhaps? My mother worked. Okay. She was an interior designer and I am one of five. So she was able to work, but the nature of her work enabled her to take summers off with us and be home after school, et cetera. So that was a good example for me. And, you know, I, in turn, tried to set a good example for my daughters. You know, both of them work and have children and all that kind of thing. I think you do need to set boundaries. And, you know, that's not something I was very good at when I was starting out. Because as I mentioned, I did an executive MBA program. And that was a killer. You know, it was professionally, it was the best thing I ever did. But I couldn't have worked harder. I really couldn't have, you know, I watched my daughters and they're much better at saying, you know, I have to carve out the time for myself and my family. And COVID's been a big test for everybody's working relationships. You have to be open to try things and be honest about what you're thinking and what you're concerned about with your employer and with your family. Well, and it's such a different time now. I mean, I think back 40 years ago, it sounds like when you began your career, you know, I think that the environment wasn't so friendly for for working moms. You had to hide a lot of those parts of yourself and God forbid, Absolutely. I need to take off time to go be with the family or I needed a longish maternity leave. It didn't seem like it was possible. Yeah. I had uh, six weeks of maternity leave. One of my favorite memories I was all dressed up in a black suit for something, you know, some meeting, whatever. And I turn around and my two-year-old daughter had done an Oreo cookie (laughs) hand on my back. (laughs) So here I am thinking I'm all ready to go. And (laughs) it comes up with a tissue. (laughs) Let me help you out, Sue. (laughs) Sue, back up, you know. Oh, God. But we've all had situations like that. And thank God the person that helped us out said, you've got mung all over your back. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. crazy. So you have been a ceiling breaker. How has that benefited your career? What are the biggest learnings that you had along the way when you were sort of the only woman in the room, which based on your background, I can imagine was often. You know, this idea of helping other women, you know, and that's why I'm involved with your organization is something that needs to happen. I mean, I vividly remember being in a room of senior women And we were talking about how we help others out. And someone who was very, very senior in the room said, nobody ever helped me. Why should I help anybody else? And God love her for being honest. But, you know, a lot of people feel that way. And I just could feel my heart stop when she said that. You know, I've helped lots of people, both, you know, men and women. And I think it's you get out a lot of it yourself if you help others You know, in particular, I think there's a lot of camaraderie with women at this point, and there's a lot that we can do for each other and should do for each other for any number of different reasons. You know, it makes us happier. I mean, you were so 
you are always so hopeful and optimistic, um, never Pollyannish, of course, <laughs> but I feel like that joy just radiates from you. So how do you sort of manage the, you know, clearly you had good training grounds going, getting your uh, executive mm-hmm. MBA while you have two daughters and trying to be a wife, having a career. But now you're juggling lots of boards and a lot of other commitments. You know, how have you managed to really scaffold this board journey? And are you still balanced? Well, there's a couple things that come to mind. One of my board members on the first public board that I joined said, you know, the great thing about this point in my life is I get to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. And that resonated with me. You know, what I've done essentially over the last few years is created a little portfolio of things that I like to do. I'm on two public company boards. A bank board is obvious, given I was born and raised in a bank. Mm -hmm. The storage company, I actually met the CEO of the firm at the bank board that I was on. I had a little bit of a hiatus, about 18 months, where I didn't have a board role. And that was very frustrating for me because I had all the credentials. I'd actually had public company board experience, but the board went through an M&A cycle. So I joined the board. We did a strategic review. We decided that we needed to sell the firm. So we went through an M&A process. So I think to some extent, people were thinking I was a little bit of a toxic board member or something like that because it was only a... An 18-month duration. So I interviewed for a lot of different roles. And when you do that, it takes a lot of time and energy. You have to do research about the company and prepare yourself, etc. So now I've got myself a nice little portfolio of activities. And I like to try to make sure that I'm prepared for all of the meetings and that I've read the materials and all those basic types of things. But I can, if it gets to be too taxing, say I'm going to step away from this, that, or the other thing, if that's the case. But right now, I'm just basically enjoying myself, and I still have time to spoil my grandchildren, which is very important to me. (laughs) Well, I want to know where this retail shoe company comes into play. Is that part of your fun uh, that you have? Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) You know, I mentioned that, you know, professionally, I was born and raised in a bank. I spent 30 some odd years in banking and insurance. I know it very well. You know, you needed something a little different. I managed to meet two individuals that were working on a shoe company that's based on a Latin American street shoe design. And juntos is the Spanish word for together. So it's a sustainable company. We took time during COVID to redesign the shoe and we're working on a new website doing some fit trials. I'm very much a shoe and a purse person. So this is like me living my dream. But um, we'll see, fingers crossed that we can make this uh, successful. It's technically a B Corp. So, you know, we're philanthropic in what we do. And it's very sustainable materials. So fingers crossed that we can be very successful. Can we all go buy Columbus shoes? Pretty soon. All right, good. Well, maybe as soon as this podcast goes live, we can all go out and get some shoes or at least come to your house and see your closet. Yeah, I, I have all the prototypes in every color you can possibly imagine. <laughs> so that sounds like a lot of fun to me. Well, what do you like about the startup space? 
banks to me sounds like regulatory land, you know, and in compliance and you know big numbers. But startups, that's a whole other thing. There's lots of good reasons for it. One of the reasons is I would live through the financial service crisis at City. And, you know, City was probably one of the hardest hit during the financial crisis. Our share price went down to a buck and you name it, it happened. And I was very involved in a lot of the restructuring activities at that time. People I worked with for 20 years came up to me and said, give me a package. I'm out. I can't take it anymore. It was awful. I'd always done a lot of change management, but restructuring, I can do it with my eyes closed. But the reality is there's another part of my brain that is all about being a builder and a creator and a mentor. That all goes to being in startup land. A good startup has to pivot based on what's going on. So they thought they were going to be, you know, this type of shoe company, and now they're going to be that type of shoe company. And it's just so much more creative at this point in my career. And I think I can add a lot of value in making people think. And a lot of the startup work also applies to board work. Because when you're an operator, when you're the CEO of a firm, you get yourself on a path. And it's up to your board to say, have you looked at this? Have you considered that? And really try to open your eyes and help you create a strategy that'll help you thrive. You've heard me say it before. My goal is for you to run the world. And let me tell you why. It's not just because I think you're fabulous, badass, and you know that I do. It is actually protective for all of us. When you have diversity on a board, for example, product recalls happen three times faster. Companies perform better. It's better for people, it's better for profits, and it's better for the planet. We need you to join a corporate board, and we need you to know when to advocate for it in your day job. October 16th through the 20th, How Women Lead is hosting our extremely successful fourth annual Get On Board Week. This week is full of virtual programming, content rich, but also connecting, connecting, connecting. And we know 85% of all board searches are word of mouth and through connections. We want to connect you with private equity firms that are seeking board members. We want to connect you with other women board members who've already done it, who are being tagged and can't take all the board seats that are coming their way. We will have board opportunities that we will share with you. Really, truly, this is our way to connect and propel you. This is one week, but what happens is people connect with people on LinkedIn or they create mastermind groups that they support each other all year long. I want you to step up and be part of the solution. My daughter needs you on the board. But I also want to inspire you to think about all the women around you where you can be the person who inspires her and says, I see you on a board. I think you should be on a board. Check it out. Come and explore. Invite 10 friends. Tell them that you believe in them. It's the greatest gift you can give. Somebody did it for you. And I want to encourage you to do it for another woman. I look forward to seeing you at Get On Board Week. So we can get thousands of women on boards this year 
our focus beyond the private boards that we've always focused on, we're adding the private board space. It's time. Thanks for your partnership. Send the letter back down and help another woman get into action. Do you have your list of questions? I mean, what you're telling us is that asking great questions is the key in both of those situations. So what are your favorite questions that you ask at your board meetings? Some of it depends on the personality of the individual and your fellow board members, you know, because you don't want to be coming across as cocky and this, that, and the other thing. So you've got to kind of work the room, if you know what I mean. You know, just basic open-ended questions about, you know, tell me what the customer experience is like and what makes you worried about your competitors, okay? Just trying to get people to think a little bit out of the numbers this quarter, and et cetera. And then once you get the answer, you have to follow along with other questions to try and go a little bit deeper. So have you been the only woman on any of the boards that you're on? Yes, I have. Have you experienced what some women I in my in our network have told me when they were on that first public board or they were the first woman on a public board that it was really hard to get their voice heard and that the decisions were still being made in the men's room, if you will. You know, on the, people would come to a meeting and say, oh, the audit committee made this decision and they're on the audit committee. They're like, I wasn't invited to that meeting. Any of that ever happened? And how do you gracefully handle any of those moments? Well, I'm on one public company board where we had a little bit of an issue and a very challenging situation culturally. But, you know, a lot of it is just taking your superhero position and taking a deep breath and saying, you know, I can ask the question of how did we get there? Okay. Mm -hmm. Or if we got there, could we rethink it and try to articulate why I think it's not the right thing to do? It does take a little gravitas. I'll admit it. Okay, but you know, you got to dig deep and do the right thing. Okay, because in a board role in particular, you know, you have certain fiduciary responsibilities that you have to make sure the boxes get checked. You can't be shy, you really can't. You know, I've had many conversations with people about going on boards, and you have to be thoughtful and you have to be willing to stand up and say, I wasn't at the meeting. What happened? Where are the minutes? Blah, blah, blah. It's your responsibility as a board member to to do that, whether it's a public or a private situation. And if you're not comfortable doing that, then I'm not thinking board work is the right one for you. Because, you know, some boards, like I was on one where it was basically a conglomeration of different mergers. So it was like Noah's Ark. We had two from this one and two from that one and (laughs) two from this one. And there wasn't really the cohesiveness that you would see in the leadership team, but we were able to work together reasonably well. It was a little scary at points. Well, and if you don't know what what mission people are on, if you haven't all decided you've got a shared mission, you're still carrying your torch for your original but I also mentioned doing your homework. So, you know, you go to the meeting prepared, you know what they're going to talk about in the agenda, and then you use the time, the executive sessions to try to form relationships with your fellow board members, reach out to them on the side, 
and start to create a collaborative relationship. You might not be able to do it with all of the board members, but you can certainly find a few friendly people, I'll say, in any situation. The other is to ask for feedback, which is something a lot of people aren't comfortable doing. But, you know, I'm new to the board. I asked this question, you know, how was it perceived? Those types of things. Yeah. You'd be amazed what people will tell you. <laughs> yeah. If you actually open the door, people like to talk. You extend yourself and your leadership and your time to help other women get on corporate boards. Why mm-hmm. is that important? You're already on enough boards. Why are you sticking your neck out for other people? What about it's important? It's rewarding. It's fun. I mean, you know, one of the things that all this working to get on a board, et cetera, has taught me is the value of your network. Everybody I knew on the planet knew I was looking for a board role. I, you know, I just kept going around once a quarter, I'd reach out say, you know, but the thing about networking is it's fun. You get to meet people that you wouldn't normally, and you get to introduce others and all that. So you can learn a lot. And, you know, one thing later in life is, you know, talk less and listen more, right? You learn a tremendous amount. So what do you think is different now? I mean, 10 years ago, it was approximately 10% of at least California's public company board seats were women. And now it's about 30. So what what's different, do you think? And is that good for companies? I think people have really started to realize the value of diversity. Okay. You know, not just of gender, but of experience and thought. I mean, for so long, it was sitting CEOs or CFOs, those two people only. And there's so many other disciplines in an organization that add tremendous value, whether you're a marketing person, a digital person, an HR professional, a technologist, all these different skills are of tremendous value. And a good CEO surrounds themselves with talented people in that way. So, you know, I think helping people when I talk about getting on boards to really understand the value that they bring to the table and be able to articulate it crisply is very important. Really, boards are starting to see diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of background, all really makes them a better board. It'll be very interesting to see how the Twitter situation plays out. Right. You know, when everybody's standing in line and throwing rocks at the Twitter board right now. A lot of people think these are glorified roles and you just go to a meeting and, you know, eat cheese and, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yep, 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 yep. You also have extended yourself around investing and getting more mm-hmm. women in venture, more women run companies funded. Tell me a little bit about why is that important to you and sort of what do you see as what's possible in that realm? Everybody's seen the statistics about, you know, female ventures get maybe 3% at most of the venture funding. I've been involved with the Innovation Lab in New York since 2015, and you just see these tremendously talented people, and you want to help them be successful. And when you can also be helping of a woman, and if it's a minority woman, even better, it's very rewarding. You know, if you're an investor, 
you want to diversify what you invest in. Okay. So you don't want to all be in bonds or all be in equities or all be in only ventures. I mean, when you go through the How Women Invest program, Nancy says to you, you know, be able to, you know, lose what you invest. Okay. <laughs> because the statistics around startups are you could lose the money. <laughs> okay. So you have to be prepared to do that, but you also have to have a, a long time horizon, right? For startups, it's just the nature of the beast. You're not going to get your investment back in six months. Usually not, <laughs> but you need to be thinking about it. It's a way to diversify. It's also a tremendous way for you to learn and meet other people. It seems to me like the numbers show that women are not investing at the rate men are in uh, this alternative asset class, the venture capital. Mm -hmm. They're sort of more conservative or, or, you know, just sort of, you know, handing the money over to the guy at Schwab and saying, take care of me, please. Fingers crossed. At what point did you decide that you were going to include venture in your portfolio? And what did you do, you know, to cross over and to get there and start? Or have you always done this? Have you been investing in these asset classes for a long time? No, it's really only been since I started working with startups. Initially, I was myself as an investor. So I invested in a couple of firms as an angel. That was a great learning experience for me and how to ask the right set of questions and a few other things. I did meet Erica probably a year before I actually invested in how women invest. And I was impressed with Erica. Very impressive. (laughs) Oh, man. It afforded me an opportunity to put some money with a smart, bright group of people that should be able to figure this out. So it just seemed like a very safe bet to me. I'm enjoying reviewing the firms and meeting the other people that are part of the network. So it's a combination of I'm learning and I think I can help people a little bit myself. So it works out well. Well, and it's also not bad to be part of a bigger effort to make change happen so that we don't have this bizarre inequity. It's just strange to me how people see, you know, men and women equally, you know, pitching and they can say the exact same words. And literally our brain tells us that the guy's more capable. Well, and they're asked completely different questions. You know, women are asked risk-based questions. Men are asked opportunity-based questions, which are easier to finesse your way through. If you have a situation where a woman isn't quite as confident, she gets those risk questions. It can be very short answers and she does, she isn't perceived as well. And that just is wrong. Yeah. You know, you see it, it's sad, but you want to try to make it change, which is why you participate in things like how women invest. You, you know, volunteer your time to help other startups or just, you know, mentor other people. Yeah. And women-run venture firms return more for their investors, just like the own risk tolerance behavior of women as investors, the women founders are more capital efficient and disciplined. And there's a lot of reasons why it's good. Do you have a favorite startup story that you can share with us? Any company that's, maybe it's the shoe company, but uh, something where it was just like, God, this is fun. I'm so glad I'm doing this. Well, I'll give the example of Goal Setter. She's further along than my shoe company. Tanya Van Court is the CEO. She's, you know, a mother and 
She's a smart, bright lady, and she's committed to make financial education accessible to kids and to their parents. So she's got a great app that she developed and, you know, she used to work at Nickelodeon. So she knows how to educate kids. In addition to being a mom, she's just a very creative lady. And she was one of my mentees at the Innovation Lab. You know, I keep in touch with my mentees, even though the program is only a year, I still keep in touch with them. So I called her up one day and said, how are you doing? And she just was having a bad day. (laughs) We were able to talk and I ended up joining her board and we recently just raised $15 million for, she's got the wind at her back. She really does. So, you know, check out goalsetter.co. It's a great effort and I'm really feeling good about where she is, how she's building her team, how the board's coming together. It's just working out very, very well. Well, you know, in terms of financial literacy, it used to be our kids would go with us into the bank. Well, I had this experience where my super smart kid skipped a grade and went to Harvard. Is at Harvard his freshman year and calls me up and he says, mom, sometimes I need cash. I was like, use your ATM. He's like, you're not listening to me. I need cash. I realized my second child, because the first one I must have sent to the ATM machine, you didn't even realize that you literally take that ATM card and you go get yourself some cash. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was that, you know, and all, all of our kids have said us over and over, like, I need to know when I should start investing in the stock market. Like at what point should, you know, they really have no context, no clue if you're not, they're ready to coach them and support them. And, and it's too late for a lot of people by the time they start to really pay attention to this. They've gotten themselves Absolutely. in trouble or... Yeah. And, you know, what Tanya does is videos and tests and she gears it toward children, but half of her clients are their parents. So it's all about just making it understandable because, you know, you you don't necessarily have somebody you can ask all the questions of your nice uncle Bob that teaches you how to invest in ETFs or whatever. (laughs) Okay, so you're a fintech expert, and it has been such a dynamic environment to see what's happening in fintech. Besides Goal Setter, what are the other innovations that you're seeing in fintech or the things we should be paying attention to? Well, I just think the whole sector is so dynamic. If you think about it, you know, banks are regulated and in a very difficult spot right now. Okay. So the partnership between large financial institutions and new fintech organizations, I think is amazing to see, you know, Zelle is a classic example. B of A invested in them very early on and now Zelle is everywhere. You know, so watching this space and how smart, bright financial institutions place their investments and partner with others to provide, whether it's cyber security or, you know, new uh, financial education apps, whatever it is, it's just amazing to watch. And the creativity is outstanding. Yeah. We may never even need to have cash again. I mean, like, you know, if you're looking at the different crypto and NFTs and all kinds of alternatives, you know, we're entering a a very interesting space. And I know that you're on the cutting edge of a lot of that. Well, so you said that you are good at balance and you love giving back. What are the other parts of your life and your career that you would say benefited you the most, either skill sets or things that you've learned or practices you put into place? 
I'm a firm believer in being honest. Okay. So I'm not one of those people that plays a lot of games. You know, you can tell when I'm happy, you can tell when I'm sad. And, you know, I try to be very straightforward and encourage that in others. I also moved around a lot, literally around the globe, having to fit in in the same organization in different cultures teaches you a lot about yourself, what you consider important, and also trying to understand how you're perceived. I mean, it was great fun. I consider myself a lifetime learner to move to different places with my family and my children, especially. It's not easy, but uh, you have a short period of time to kind of settle in. And being nimble is important. Yeah. The thread of what you've woven today in this conversation that includes like being having enough humility to ask great questions and also ask for feedback for yourself. I mean, that mm-hmm. is one of the hardest lessons I think a lot of us learn because we think we have to buck up and and know everything. And when we're all 30, we we think we know more than everybody else. I certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> After that, it was downward slide, you know. <laughs> but that's that goes to the listen more, talk less. Okay. That is definitely something I learned later in life. And when you talk about networking, the more you listen, the more you understand, the more you learn from other people. And, you know, it's a lot more fun than reading a book. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So what's next for you? What's on the horizon? Well, I want to, you know, kind of take the portfolio I have and make sure that it doesn't need any more tweaking. So, you know, give me another, you know, 12, 18 months and we'll see. And we'll see how shoes come along, right? <laughs> so you're you're in the growth and feeding mode right now. 12, 18 yeah. months, we'll probably have a purse come out. <laughs> Maybe some matching gloves. I'm a hat person. I love that. Yep. So if you are talking to one of your granddaughters, mm-hmm. what is it that you want them to know that maybe it was hard for you to learn or just in this environment, they have a new opportunity. Wow. I'm just picturing my oldest granddaughter. You know, you want people to be confident. You know, I mentioned the superhero pose. My eight-year-old granddaughter can do a Wonder Woman like you've never seen. (laughs) But, you know, you need to have a little confidence, a little gravitas, and don't be afraid to try things. I mean, you'll learn the most from the things that you don't do very well. You learn from your mistakes. You grow smarter, you grow happier, whatever, and just be happy. You know, our culture isn't so great for women. We also grew up, there are even movies, mean girl movie. So in our organization, we created a credo just as an invitation for people to be better and different with each other. I consider Mm -hmm. it a countercultural framework. And so you live that, you are the example of that credo, everything that you've talked about today and how you show up in the world. And I'll remind you what what the four bullets are, if you will, the four points of our credo. And would love for you to wax a little bit, maybe either on one of them that is the the most important that you want uh, other people to think about. But we ask people to be fierce advocates for each other, really show up and support people Mm -hmm. that have their back. Two, we ask you to say yes to making introductions and helping each other. Three, we ask you to reinforce her voice when she speaks up and maybe isn't being heard. And four, we ask you to be unabashedly visible. How does that resonate for you? You know, first of all, thank you for saying that I live these principles because I try to. And, you know, before we met, I was 
trying to do these things. And now you've got a framework for all of us that really helps us help each other. So I think that's very important to, to keep in mind. And, you know, so I would pick two and three with an option to go back to number one. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let me explain. The first one is say yes to helping each other. Okay. I mentioned earlier the importance of networking, and that's all about helping each other. If you're a successful networker, if somebody pings you, you respond. You don't just go quiet. You know, you can say, I'm busy right now. I can't help, but you got to respond. Okay. You got to understand. And then you also have to try to help. And I think that's important for the recipient. And it's a way for you to get satisfaction yourself and feel that you are indeed giving back. You know, in terms of reinforcing her voice, you know, I mentioned earlier for boards, you know, oftentimes people don't feel that they have the right experience for a board role. And it's kind of helping them think through the process of you might not be a CEO or CFO, but you've got this, that, and the other thing that could be of tremendous value to certain types of boards. And here's how you should position it and feel confident that you can indeed add value. So helping people get to that point, I think, is is very important. And it's very rewarding when you're able to put your fingers and help give them a little nudge, right? The fierce advocates for each other, if you do the other two that I'm <laughs> first, then it's kind of easy to be a fierce advocate because, you know, everything's all neat and tidy and you're ready to go. Well, Sue... Thank you very much for architecting that for us. I feel like the example that you have given in this podcast of how to have a a balanced and yet hopeful and disciplined approach to how you've built an amazing career and how you make such a huge impact on the world, not the least of which are going to be these great shoes that we all can (laughs) Bye. So let's all go get on that financial literacy app goal setter and let's get ready to go dancing with some great new shoes. I have a funny story that has been going through my mind a lot over the last couple of months and you'll understand why. One of the things that I was very involved in when I was uh, living outside of the U.S. was actually launching a consumer bank in Russia. <laughs> And, you know, with all that's been going on in the world, this whole thing has been just dredging up all kinds of memories in my my little head. One of the things that happened is many financial institutions lost a ton of money in Russia, and it was a ruble crash in like 1989. And my employer was one of them. We lost about $350 million. And here comes Sue with her partner trying to talk everybody to going back into Russia to launch a consumer bank. And we did. It was pretty successful for a while, but now mm, not anymore. That's my way of saying, you know, be careful what you wish for. Things change. (laughs) What you push for and you felt so passionately about right now, I bet there are a lot of people cursing my name. (laughs) Well, I hear you because I feel like... Anyways, you you know, especially when we're younger, you know, I think that's what makes people such great entrepreneurs too, is you become so fiercely, but true believer in your thing. Sometimes you look back and you're like, oh dear, it didn't need to be all that. <laughs> Can you tell me? That's a little bit. <laughs> yeah. How would you gotten anyone to believe that you could start a bank if you weren't the most passionate and articulate, you know, champion for, for consumer banks? 
Well, on that, I hope that all of you are inspired by the beautiful recommendations of, you know, that, that we can all take away from, from how to be from, from Sue's example. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of all the women you help. Uh, there's so very many of them that whose lives you've touched that I know of, and I can only imagine the multiples throughout your career. So with that, if you would like to hear another episode, like today's discussion with Sue Harnett, you can go to howwomenlead.com and find up-to-date podcasts and new episodes on our website, or you can follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram at howwomenlead, all one word. Have a great day, my friends. Get out there and be fierce, but with just a little bit of balance and lots of love, like Sue. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.